3: Welcome back to another episode of the Packaday Podcast. You can get all your Packaday updates by following us on Twitter at Packaday Podcast, and remember to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn, Spit- Stitcher, or Spotify. And of course, you can always check us out at CheeseheadTV.com. My name is Andrew Mertig, and normally you'd be hearing this message from Kyle Fellows, but if you tuned in last week, you heard he just had to to move, so I am going to give him the night off. And I am super grateful that Andy Herman has been gracious enough to join me tonight. Um, it's certainly good to be back for another Friday. This is a game day edition of the podcast. And uh, welcome welcome to the show, Andy. Hey,
1: thanks so much for having me. I think we were well overdue for an Andy and Andy or Andrew and Andrew uh, Andrew squared podcast. Um, I think this is uh, definitely the time to do it. We got to see uh, a very preseason, preseason game, and uh, I'm excited to break it down.
3: Yeah, it was not the prettiest thing in the world, Um, but we we will break down how individual players looked because that, of course, is the important thing in the preseason. And you're absolutely right. I feel like the the listeners have been robbed of having the Andrew and Andy connection. So uh, we, we will try to alleviate that tonight. Um, but we do have a second preseason game under our belt. Whether or not you enjoyed it, uh, that's up to you. But it does feel great to talk about football again. But before we break this game down, I feel like at least once a month I try to go on a a super passionate rant about something that only really I care about, and I need to get this one off my chest. Um, Steve, Dusty, and Sarah talked about this a little on yesterday's podcast, and I thought they had some really great points, but... The Aaron Rodgers quote about lowering beer prices to make the fans louder has kind of been stuck in my craw. So first, yes, of course, Lambo needs to lower the concession prices. Stop taking advantage of fans just because you can. They they could, you know, follow the model of the Falcons and, and some other teams that are moving into cheaper concession prices. But they won't because they know that they're never, ever going to not sell out the stadium. Um, and I do have to say this, this hurts a little bit, maybe personally, but the Green Bay Packers are just as greedy as every other privately owned NFL team. And I don't see that changing no matter what number 12 says. But what really stuck out to me is the suggestion that Packers fans aren't loud because they are sober. And that to me is a little bit ridiculous. First, you don't need to be drunk to be loud. In fact, it's usually the drunk fans, in my opinion, that are yelling when Rogers and the Packers offense has the ball. To me, there's a bigger problem with what I would call Midwestern politeness that nobody really wants to affect somebody else's ability to watch the game. So it ends up that everybody's just really quiet. And second, I don't think you have to stand up to be loud. I, I hear at least like a hundred, maybe a thousand stories every year about some old curmudgeon told them to sit down in Lambo, like I didn't pay for a seat to stand up. And I'm sure many of these stories are very, very true. However, you can't control the old guard of boring people. You you can't control how it lets you enjoy the game. I I personally make noise on every single defensive snap, but I would guess that I only get to stand up for about 25% of them. So, to me, stand if you can, but always be loud. And my third and final point is you don't have to be a jerk. If somebody tells you to sit down, it doesn't do any good to yell back at them. It Um, like they're not going to be able to yell at every single person in the stands. So try to win the hearts of the people around you. Let's get up together. This really starts with the front. You know, people have to stand up and then the people behind them are forced to because otherwise you can't see the game. And I have been to playoff games, and I'm sure Andy can attest to this, where I basically stood and cheered for the entire game, and that's the kind of atmosphere that can be created at Lambeau every single regular season game. But it's going to take several people in each section to get up and get off their their seats and and be loud. Um, and and that's that's my diatribe for this week.
1: I am excited that I got my first Andrew Murteg rant, uh, <laughs> which I appreciate every Friday, usually when I tune in. So I, I'm excited that I actually get to participate in one. Um, I, you know, I think I, I agree with the, the vast majority of what you're saying here. So I'll be totally transparent. I, I didn't I saw the Rogers quote, but I did not see him actually deliver it. So maybe you can help me out. Was, was he saying it for I would I would have expected that he was saying it tongue in cheek. It, it uh,
3: seemed if, it seemed that way for sure. Okay.
1: So, yeah. So, I mean, obviously I'm expecting that he's saying it tongue in cheek, um, but I I still think you bring up valid points here. So, first of all, the stadium experience as a whole, I have had major issues with for a long period of time with and I have tweeted these out in the past as well Um, whether it's cheering first down after every you know there's another Packers first down after every first down Uh, whether it be the foghorn that was actually um, I don't know if a lot of people remember this this was actually something that was in stadium a couple years back they went away with it last year and now uh, apparently this is their idea to get the crowd back on their feet is this USS Green Bay foghorn they've had g-force they've had tundra line All of these things, for the most part, have been unmitigated disasters and nightmares for trying to get a crowd actually motivated and into a game. Meanwhile, uh, you know, a couple hundred miles south, the, the Milwaukee Bucks have done things that have been, you know, a super big hit. And have continued to get fans out of their seats. They've they've got you know entertaining things you know during dead ball spot or you know when the play's not going on and whether it's David Bakhtiari chugging beers on the sidelines, it just seems that there are certain teams that are doing this much better than what the Packers are doing. And whether it's you know the the consistent 1990s music that's playing in the stadium, there's a lot that's going on that's not the most fun atmosphere you know, for, for a fan in general. Uh, But I totally agree with you getting people more drunk is, is, is not the answer to that in any way, shape or form. Um, and like I said, if it was tongue in cheek, then obviously I'm not sure that anyone's nothing necessarily uh, expecting that to be the case uh, but uh, the last thing that i that i will kind of say in regards to this is uh, i've had season tickets since i was about seven years old and i would argue I- i've heard these stories for years where people are are really upset because some people will stand and people will get mad at them and i'm sure those Things are happening. Um, I've sat in the north end zone again for, you know, close to close to 30 years at this point, and I've never had a major issue in stadium like when there's been big plays on third downs if it's a red zone situation uh, our entire section is generally standing Um, I think most people for the you know for the most part aren't doing a, a bad job if it's like a random you know second and five and you know it's in the first quarter you know you don't have the people that are you know standing up and trying to distract from other people you know watching the game but when big plays come up you know people are out of their seats and they're excited and they're cheering and and so on and so forth so I would say for the most part, I have not seen this being an issue. And like you said, when it's a big time playoff game, uh, I remember that kickoff game against New Orleans after they won the Super Bowl that had a playoff feel to it. Um, Even the second half of that Bears game when Rodgers came back last year, that had the feel to it. You know, those type of games, people are on their feet. They're excited. They're jacked up. So uh, if if the Packers are doing their job. Uh, This has not, remember, been a major issue when they were a consistent, you know, playoff performer. And and maybe this goes back to Entitled Town a little bit as well. But when when they were a consistent, you know, playoff performer, they didn't need a reason to get the the fans out of their seats. That was happening naturally. So if they get back to their winning ways, I think a lot of this is going to take care of itself.
3: Yeah. and, And a couple of things. One, this is totally random, but you mentioned the USS Green Bay Foghorn. Do you remember a few years ago where for like half a season, um, they had the the eagle screech that was sponsored by the Oneida Nation?
1: I do. I remember that as well.
3: That was the loudest noise I have ever heard in my life. And the first time that I heard it, I swear I I thought I was going to defecate in my pants. (laughs) that is a totally random note and i do not want them to bring that back and i also don't want them to bring back the foghorn because it's ridiculous but one one potential solution to some of this i think you know they have these pre-recorded clips of players saying get loud or whatever maybe just change the message to stand up right like yeah players on the big board, encouraging fans to get off their feet. And then what, what is somebody going to say? Don't stand up. Well, the team is encouraging you to do it. And so I feel like that gives it a little bit more backing.
1: I feel like they need a a designated uh, like cheerleader, like cheer person uh, for every game. And I nominate Tom Crabtree to be that person (laughs) on the vast, vast majority of games. Like, like just bring back Tom Crabtree, and just have him be the guy that gets everyone in the stadium riled up in whatever capacity. Just give him creative control, and just say, Tom, I don't care what you need to do, uh, just get this crowd on their feet standing. And I think he has the capability of doing that. And uh, that that would be my
3: suggestion. Absolutely, and no more Papa Roach on defense. Yeah, that, that too. Um, but anyways, on there we have a game to talk about, uh, and uh, the Packers did lose to the Baltimore Ravens, twenty-six to thirteen. Um, and we are going to start out with impressions on offense. So, Andy, what did you think of the Aaron Rodgers-less attack?
1: Yeah, and I thought you brought up a very apt point at the at the beginning uh, of the podcast. And that's if you're watching this, trying to to break down, you know, scheme or, or team team efficiency or team play, final score, who wins or loses, it's its certainly not the way to go about, you know, kind of watching these games. It's, it's about individual performances. Um, if you're worried about, you know, how maybe some of the defense looked early, all of about one play was about a, a super vanilla look from Mike Patton uh, on defense, on offense. You know, they're just trying to get little concepts here and there, of course, no Aaron Rodgers. So what the final score was and some of the, the overall, um, you know, how they performed on offense in this scenario is not something that I'm necessarily super worried about. Um, that being said, I think the a big takeaway on offense through not only the first two preseason games, but what's been going on in training camp. And even the inner squad you know, practices against the Texans is uh, this offense is having a really tough time uh, putting any sort of consistent running game together. And uh, I think that starts of course, with the fact that Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams have been out for the majority of, of camp. And obviously, all of preseason, so that's certainly not helping anything. Um, and then, of course, you know, the first preseason game, they barely played their their starting offensive line, or they didn't play their offensive line, except for Lane Taylor. Um, and then this game, they played them for just a little bit. So that goes a long way into this, but, you know, you're at halftime today, I think, nine rushes for six yards. Uh, so that that's concerning. And then they they struggled again last week. I thought Darren Hall came in, and, and he provided a little bit of a spark, had about a 28-yard run. Um, you know, but other than that, it, it was really difficult watching, watching the running game. You had the fumbled exchange between Tim Boyle and Dexter Williams um so I, I think that's a little bit of a concern on offense on, on the plus side you know Jake Kumaro just continues to make plays his his route running continues to be solid um I'll say this he he was a player that in in preseason and in training camp last year started to show out. Um, I thought when he, you know, kind of got back from his injury last year and played in some of the games late in the season, I didn't see a ton there. I didn't think there was a ton of spark, a ton of flash, but I think he stepped it up even more coming back this season. And uh, to be fair, at this point, um, you know, the offense, you know, clear as day has been better when he's been on the field. And I, I think that's something that's certainly noteworthy as well. Uh, Darius Shepard continued to make some plays, I thought as a whole if you were looking for a receiver or a position group that that kind of showed out a little bit, I thought the route running was much better on offense today. And I thought receivers did a much better job of separating from Geronimo Allison to Jake Kumaro, Alan Lazard later in the game, Darius Shepard had a couple plays. So I think those were, you know, kind of my main takeaways on offense. And then I guess maybe the last one would just be the play of the quarterbacks. And I thought today you saw what I've been seeing and what everyone's kind of been seeing in practice so far. You know, I thought in the first preseason game, Kaiser was that way. He really struggled to begin with and then kind of found his feet a little bit. Um, And then, you know, I thought Boyle played pretty well in the first preseason game. Uh, But overall, these are quarterbacks that have been very up and down. No consistency. You know, Boyle started okay, and then had about a I think it was four or four or five of five to start, even though they were shorter passes. And then I think he went like one of eight or something like that and just had a really tough patch where uh, he missed some very easy passes. Uh, but then he comes back and he leads a touchdown drive, a couple really nice throws, including finding Shepard for the touchdown. So it's just those inconsistencies. And, um, you know, Kaiser did some nice things as well. I thought he had some big time throws where he stepped up in the pocket, but... At the same time, he looks very mechanical. It looks like he's thinking out there. Like it just doesn't ever seem natural to him. So I have concerns with both those, just those little incompletions from Tim Boyle, where he's got receivers open and the ball's, you know, five yards in front of him and it bounces up. I mean, those things can't happen. So those, those were my initial impressions on offense today.
3: Yeah, and I, I have to say Jake Kumaro continues to make me look foolish. Uh I, I have been hypercritical of Kumaro kind of throughout last offseason um and sort of the cult-like following, which I, I always try to temper people's expectations, but man, he he just you're right, he looks different. He keeps making plays Against top-notch NFL cornerbacks, so it's not just a fluke that he's exposing second, and third stringers. I mean, he's beating Marlon Humphrey on that a route today. Beautiful
1: tonight. route today, yeah, beautiful route.
3: Um, so his his uh, success just keeps kind of stringing together, and and um, I you know, it's it's hard to envision a situation where he's not a, not just on the roster, but a critical piece of that. Um, but. So you talked a little bit about the backup quarterbacks, and and I certainly took uh, some heat this week for praising Deshaun Kaiser and and you know saying that I thought that he was the clear number two. Um, you you had had some input on that on the show uh, on Monday. Do you see any any differences now? Do you do you think Tim Boyle caught up a little bit tonight, or is that still just an area of uncertainty?
1: No, I don't, I don't think he, he did tonight. I, I don't think you can go through a patch in the middle of the game like that. Um, I, I think, the, again, kudos to, to him for bouncing back right after that and having really – because you could tell he was frustrated. Um, so to, to have a couple drives like that, that you know, he just knew he was missing some guys. He was frustrated. Um, you know, he in the huddle there was a certain play where he, he missed – I think it was Tanyan on the, the right side, and, and Tanyan's walking back to the huddle, and, and Boyle was owning it. He was, you know, patting himself on the chest saying, that's me, that's me. Um, And then to come back and and have a drive after that, where he just kind of forgot about the last two and came out and and the ball came much cleaner out of his hands. That's positive to see, but, when when you're in a battle for a quarterback spot like that, it's it's really tough to have two drives where you're just really inaccurate. Uh, and, and especially when it's against, you know, second tier defensive players. Now at the same time, he's, he's got a, you know, a patchwork offensive line in front of him. Uh, he he's got, you know, wide receivers that aren't Geronimo Allison and um, you know, MVS and Devonte Adams and some of these players as well. But uh, I would say this, and I, and it, I know you were referencing what I mentioned on Monday as well. There has been nothing up to this point to make me believe that this is a battle between the two at this point. I mean, Kaiser was the backup last year. Kaiser has basically taken every rep with the twos. Boyle has taken every rep with the threes. And in, until there's some inkling from from this Packers coaching staff that they want to get Boyle involved a little bit more with the starters to see what he can do, even a little bit. Because there really hasn't been that. There's been one or two instances where he got in early. I think actually in practice this week, I saw somebody tweet that he got in with the ones before Rogers on one drive this week. And then before that, I think there was one or maybe two where he got second string, um, you know, snaps ahead of Kaiser. But it seemed more of just a kind of a change of pace more than an actual, you know, unseating of Kaiser at that point. So. Um, to me, he did not do uh, enough tonight to to start getting him more in that conversation. And until I see something from Lafleur and this coaching staff that it's a battle, I, I have no reason to believe at this point that uh, you know Tim Boyle is in the conversation for the number two spot with Deshaun Kaiser.
3: Yeah, and I think we we came off a game last week where there was some optimism about both the backup quarterbacks, really, um, maybe all three if you want to include Manny Wilkins. And and this this game really uh, put a damper on, on some of those things. And hey, you see the work left to do for both of those players. Um, but anyways, I want to talk a little bit about uh, what I thought about the defense. Um, for me, you know, along the line, the first unit very strong. When the subs came in, I thought, you know, Kingsley Kiki really flashed. I continue to like what I see from Montravius Adams, and I think, you know, he's gonna be a key part of that defensive line rotation. To me, Tyler Lancaster looks like a very average player. I know he's facing a lot of double teams, but um, you know, I was really excited to see him as a solid run stuffing guy, but to me, he it, it's been a struggle the first two weeks. And James Looney didn't get to play much against the first or the second string um, for the Ravens, but he showed some flash plays later um, at edge. You know, Zaderius Smith is pretty much what the reports are saying. He is an impact player. And um, I thought he had great backside pursuit on some players. This is a really, really difficult game to evaluate any of the edge rushers because the Ravens, obviously, you know, with Lamar Jackson in that first unit, they're running a lot of RPOs. They're running a lot of play actions. And they're just, you know, trying to catch or slow down that pass rush. So sometimes the best play is just not biting on that fake, staying in your rushing lane, staying home and, and making a sound play. And, um, you know, looking at the edge rushers later in the game, I certainly, again, took some heat this week about asking. And I was, in fact, just asking if Kyler Fackrell's job could be at risk. And he was totally invisible tonight. I I will admit, I have a bias against Mr. Fackrell, so I, I do tend to focus on him a lot when he's in the game, and he was getting owned by a lot of the Ravens' second unit tackles, so... Um, the struggles there continue. Randy Ramsey had a really bad play in the fourth where he just rushed way too far up the field. He opened up an easy running lane and the Packers got gashed. And um, I like to call that the Clay Matthews special, but it's not not a good look for a guy who is trying to make this practice squad. Uh, Reggie Gilbert, another sack tonight. Uh, he seems to be the obvious fifth guy, you know, if, if they're thinking about keeping five edge rushers, but I've seen more from Gilbert than I have from Fackerel. That being said kyler of course actually has produced in the regular season which sets him apart from reggie gilbert and he's a much better special teams player so um you would think the edge at edge would go to kyler fackrell for sure uh at off ball linebacker curtis bolton uh did get to play with the first string that of course is always notable uh the mobility the athleticism is there but it is clear he's a rookie that oh doesn't always go with his instincts um He's not always there to make a play. There are times when the offensive lineman gets on him and totally takes him out of the play. So, you know, you you hear the same thing about Oren Burks. Things totally changed when he got to play, face that second unit for Baltimore. Suddenly he's exploding through holes. He's making big plays. Um, you know, Blake Martinez is probably the most important player on defense when you look at what his replacements would look like. But there are still times when he can get washed out by guards as well. So that's a concern. You know, both of your off-ball linebackers, uh, or really all three if you include Burks, are getting uh, washed up. So you're really relying on the defensive line in front of him. The dropped after him... Hugely drastic, um, but you have to have a little bit of optimism with what you're seeing from not only Curtis Bolton but also Ty Summers. And he looked impressive tonight. Um, there was a a rush uh, where where they uh, handed off to Dixon and line really the defensive line got washed out. And Bolton did a really really nice job of slowing down his pursuit pushing the tackle to the outside and wide. And then the backside pursuit by Ty Summers was really great. And he was able to tackle him. And what could have been a massive play ended up being just kind of a middle yardage gain on a a pretty bad performance by the defensive line. Summers was having some issues tackling in the fourth quarter. But, you know, when you're always in position to make a play, sometimes it doesn't happen. You'd rather a guy be there and, and sort of slow up the runner with a missed tackle than not be there at all. Ah, uh, James Crawford, really nice coverage on an out route in the fourth quarter, but he could not come down with the interception, um, and that was the only time that he really made, uh, you know, an appearance. Uh, from from my quick eval, uh, Jair Alexander looks great. Hey, surprise, surprise! Really solid corner is uh, going to ascend into what I think is a top-notch cornerback. I like what Tony Brown did. Um, I I would love for him, though, to open his eyes when he's making a tackle (laughs) because he hit sticked Blake Martinez on the sideline and um, did not even hit the Baltimore receiver. So, uh, you know. Keep your eyes open, buddy. Um, the the jersey color is important for, for who you're fitting, <laughs> uh, especially given how important Blake Martinez is to this team. Um, in the second quarter, he had tremendous coverage, and that's really what led to the Curtis Bolton interception. Uh, Chandon Sullivan and Will Redman, I thought, struggled a lot tonight. Sullivan went for a ball um, and got toasted for a touchdown. Redman had some mistakes in coverage. He missed some tackles. And those are guys that have shown a lot of promise, but they have to continue to. Uh, to have a chance to make the roster in a very deep position group, and Kadar Holman didn't really get a chance to continue his promising camp because of that injury in the second half, and he never returned. Uh, at safety, I like Darnell Savage. Uh, Savage coverage on Hayden Hurst on that out route. Uh, Boyle had a nice catch on the first drive and Savage uh, had a rude awakening. You know, you're not playing in the big 10 anymore and uh, shoulder tackles probably aren't going to work for you. So, um, you know, there's a great learning experience and, you know, he'll probably get a little bit of, uh, you know, a call out in that film review, but uh, I'm sure, I'm sure he'll learn a lesson from it. Adrian Amos was just as advertised assignment sound, really good tackles to clean up the defense kind of hilarious that somebody tried to hurdle him and he just had none of it. Um, and so for a team full of guys who are going to take some chances, having that safety blanket, and and I do mean that pun uh, behind <laughs> them, is going to be really important with Amos. So did, did you have any impressions on the defense?
1: Yeah, I think uh, Kingsley Kiki continues to flash through two games. I thought you hit that one right on the head. Uh, that's a player that, uh, to me, it, through two games, it, just his athleticism, they played him some inside, they played him some outside. Uh, it's funny, I actually – I'm not a huge uh, you know, James Lofton announcer guy. I kind of miss Rich Gannon. But I thought he hit the nail on the head where uh, he said basically um, – you know, the teams are questioning whether he would play inside or outside, but uh, so far it hasn't mattered. He's got great positional versatility, and I think he's continued to show that through two games. And I think he's going to be a solid rotational player uh, that gets that, that you know, maybe 10 to 15, maybe even up to 20 snaps in certain games this year. So I really think they found something there. Um, you know, hopefully that seemed like the lone injury that came out of this game was Kandar Holloman, and he he's really been playing great football. So hopefully uh, he can kind of bounce back and get back on the field quickly. And then, um, you know, I thought Curtis Bolton was the other player. So when you kind of, you know, transpose uh, or juxtapose, I guess, uh, Curtis Bolton and Ty Summers next to one another. Well, first of all, I thought Ty Summers basically had the exact opposite game that he had from a week ago. So last week he had, I think, like, you know, eight or nine or I think ten tackles, but, you know, missed a few here or there. Uh, Today was kind of the flip. I I had him at at least five missed tackles, and you could easily argue to sixth. Um, You know, for him today, uh, whereas, you know, he made a few others. uh, And like you said, he was all around the football again. And you can teach tackling. That's a fundamental thing. You know, flying around the football and filling gaps and and those sorts of things is a lot tougher to teach. and, And in fact, most of the time you can't. So there's a lot of promise and a lot to like there with Ty Summers. But he came back to life just a little bit today whereas curtis bolton uh, i thought you know he was actually pro football focus's highest rated player on defense uh for the packers last week and uh when everyone was talking about ty summers myself included uh you know green bay meanwhile was putting curtis bolton in as their their starter alongside of, of blake martinez in practice and that continued today so uh, Bolton is definitely making a name for himself, and I know we're going to talk special teams next, so this is a, I guess maybe a good segue. But it wasn't just on defense that Bolton was shining out with the pick and the the sure tackling. Uh, he he looked good on special teams as well. So uh, you know, it's it's tough to call an undrafted free agent a a lock. You know, post you know second preseason game, but with Oren Burks's injury. Now, I think he's been the third, even with Oren Burks there, I think he's been the third best linebacker. And uh, I think even if uh, if Oren Burks is is out for any specific period of time, I think you're going to see him uh, some on, on, you know, different packages. So uh, good on Curtis Bolton. and, And he's definitely well ahead of schedule. And it's even more fun to say since, you know, he's he's friend of the podcast. So that's even better.
3: Oh, yeah. That's exactly what I was going to say. You know, if you're an undrafted free agent out there and you really want to make the team, coming on the Packaday podcast is pretty much the only way to assure that it's going to happen.
1: For sure. I think that's 100% fair
3: so um as you alluded to I'm going to talk about special teams a little bit um and you know the more I see this rotation between Crosby and Ficken I was really surprised that Ficken came out for the opening kickoff the more I'm kind of convinced this might actually be a competition um Sam Ficken's kick looked really shaky on the field goal at the end of the first half and uh for me you know Ficken's got to be perfect to have a chance at uh you know beating out Mason Crosby for the job. So it's probably not going to happen, but they're at least giving him a fair shake. And maybe that's just to rest Mason, but um, it, it is interesting that, that, you know, he's not just getting the late attempts. JK Scott, another really impressive game for me. Great hang time. Um, good distance. He seems to be a special teams weapon. It is a little bit concerning that on some of these booming punts, the coverage isn't in the screen when the, the returner is catching the ball. But, uh, you know, maybe if you get those first team uh, special teams guys out there, that would change in the return game. Darius Shepard looked good. If I was Trevor Davis, I would be a little bit concerned, uh, certainly not his fault that he got injured uh, this time around. But in a crowded locker room, if Shepard shows he can do the same things as Davis, or if Trevor just simply isn't available, I could see his position on the roster being in jeopardy. And, and one thing, I, I don't know how to quantify this necessarily, but it's this natural ability to catch the ball the punt by by Shepard. Like he just looks really comfortable and confident back there. And to me, that's what the best punt returners look like. They have this ability to snag the ball so they can look upfield and then look back in the air and locate the ball and not be concerned that they're going to drop it. And that allows you to sort of see where the coverage is coming from and help to set up your blockers immediately. So, um, you know, Trevor Davis has that ability too, but Shepard's available. He's playing and um, he looked pretty good on offense as well. So, you know, if I'm Trevor Davis, I'm, I'm a little bit more nervous tonight than I was yesterday. Um, from a coverage standpoint, I really liked what I saw in limited opportunities and coverage. Curtis Bolton to me was the one that flashed the most. Um, and certainly he, seems to be a lock on the roster and you, you just mentioned that and his special teams prowess prowess is certainly going to factor into that. Um, however, overall still way too many penalties on special teams. Um, did, did you have any special teams thoughts outside of that? Yeah, I'm going
1: to nerd out in a couple of different ways here on on special teams and kind of on contract talk. So, you know, when we talk about putting a 53 man roster together, uh, special teams is such an undervalued aspect of that. And then you're also uh, and I, I actually did a full podcast back on this a, a little while back is it's not just, you know, which one's necessarily the apples to apples best player. There's a lot of other things that, necess- you know, that that can go into that. And so let's start with kicker, right? So I, I think Mason Crosby is going to be the the kicker for the Packers. You know, prior to preseason starting when he was banged up a little bit, I, I uh, on my initial 53, had put Ficken on there. But uh, I agree with you wholeheartedly. I think Ficken would have had to been perfect um, in order for him to make the team. And I don't think he's been close to that yet. And I think Crosby is has shown nothing at this point uh, that that he would not make this team. I think he's looked really, really good. But if you're um, if you're the the cynic on things, or if you're looking for a reason, again, you know the 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 cap savings that you're going to get from cutting Crosby to going to Ficken, you're getting somebody that's eight years younger. Uh, that theoretically, if you think it's going to be close, you could probably sign him to a a fairly long-term deal at a very cheap price. And, uh, you know, there there's some cost savings and advantage there to keeping Sam Ficken. That being said, I do think that they'll continue with with Mason Crosby. They could have the conversation with him again to say, hey, we're going to keep you, but we want you to take a lower contract. And if I was his agent, I'd say, no, that's fine. We'll go kick for the Bears and they'll give us a bigger contract, um, in which case they'll say, OK, you know, we're good. <laughs> Um, you know, so I think that probably goes nowhere. And I think ultimately, you know, again, Mason's kicking for the Packers this year, but that's an interesting one. And then, you know, we go down one more to, to Trevor Davis versus, you know, Darius Shepard, right? If, if you're looking to me, and this is just my opinion on this, if you're going apples to apples, player for player, I think straight receiver, Trevor Davis is a, a better receiver. I think he's a better punt returner. I think he's a better gunner. I think he's a better kick returner. If you're going straight apples to apples, I think Trevor Davis is the better player right now if you needed to win a game today than Darius Shepard but again you're talking about all these different things that go into that decision right so uh you know first and foremost is the injury history for Trevor Davis they've talked about it ad nauseum already that you have to be available and that's just a common football thing. If you're not available, it doesn't matter how good you are. The best ability, blah, blah, blah is availability. But there's a truth to it. If you can't stay healthy, you can't stay on the field, you can't help the team. And that is a huge advantage that Darius Shepard has. Furthermore, you're looking at a rookie player on a rookie bare minimum contract for three years in Darius Shepard, whereas Trevor Davis is in on the last year of his deal and it's more expensive than what Shepard's in. So th- that's a massive massive, massive advantage for Darius Shepard. The fact that you have him on three of the cheapest controllable years you can possibly have, where again, if it's apples to apples, or if it's pretty close, you would much rather have the guy that's on the cheap contract for three years than the guy that's going into the last year of his deal. So Again, if, if it were me and I needed to win a game tomorrow, I want Trevor Davis if they're both healthy. But those injury issues and the contract and just being the younger player, Shepard has some advantages there, and I think that's why it's going to be interesting in the fact that he can play On special teams, too, you know, really helps him out. So the last thing I'll add in in special teams, and I thought Ryan Wood did a really great job of pointing this out, is that apparently Chandon Sullivan was on every single special teams unit. So, again, you talk about trying to build a 53-man roster, and especially if, uh, you know, Kadar Holloman's hurt and you have the opportunity to keep it an extra cornerback um, you, you talk about a guy who can play on every special teams unit that has a ton of value. And then you add in the fact that Sullivan's kind of been all over the field throughout training camp, making plays, he's going to lose sleep tonight because there was a play that, you know, he gave up the touchdown tonight and not only should he probably had a, a pass breakup on that, he easily probably not easily, but he could have probably had at least a chance at an interception. So, uh, you know, he's going to lose some sleep over that one, but when you're on every special teams unit, that gives you an advantage as well. So just some some interesting storylines that I think are going to be prevalent when, when, you know, Gutekunst and company are trying to build that 53-man roster.
3: Yeah, and that, that's a really, really interesting point on Sullivan. And, and certainly the more versatile that you can prove that you are this time of year, the, the more uh, likelihood you have of making the roster. Were, were there any other players tonight that you saw that caught your eye, maybe, either in a positive or a negative light?
1: I don't know that there's a a player that's necessarily caught my eye in a negative or positive way, but I I think, you know, this is the second game in a row where, you know, where Gary has played a ton of snaps and he's really kind of failed at least at first glance. Uh, to make a major impact I know there are a couple rushes that I saw where he came screaming around the corner again or at least had the opportunity and it just you know the the quarterback got rid of the football so he had a couple of plays that I I noticed already Uh, I'm really interested to go back and look at his tape a little bit more because he had a lot of time in there with some of the second and third stringers with the Ravens too he basically played you know a good chunk of about the I think all the second Um, I'm intrigued to go back and really see what he put on tape this week to see if he did any better, but there were a couple of those plays again, this week, they showed up in college from time to time. They showed up a little bit last week where he's just kind of jogging around. There was, um, you know, one specific play, uh, where, uh, you know, the, the quarterback, um, you know, kind of bought time and was, you know, kind of hanging around, hanging around, hanging around. And it wasn't just Gary. There were a couple other ones that were kind of jogging to the play. And then the quarterback kind of got back in the play a little bit. And then all three of them kind of had to realize, oh, we still have to go after this guy. Um. So just a, a couple things like that where I don't want to make any snap judgments, you know, on a, on a preseason uh, game on, on, you know, not all 22 tape, but it, it, it's at least enough where it, it's catching my eye that I want to go back and watch it closer.
3: Yeah. And it will be uh, nice to see Derek Carr, Mike Glennon uh, <laughs> and Nathan Peterman next weekend, instead of Joe Webb and Lamar Jackson and uh uh the penn state quarter former penn state quarterback trace mcsorley McSorley. because man the packers edge rushers have no chance to tee off against these guys they're just you know sort of uh trying to prevent them from making big plays with their legs um i i have to say you know the one the one guy that we haven't had a chance to talk about that really stood out to me elton jenkins um the the two holding calls i mean i I'm not so sure that they were uh, particularly legitimate, but his position versatility, the fact that he's, you know, playing with the ones and then, you know, continuing to show what he can do, it's just super impressive and and a guy I don't think a ton of people were super excited about the the pick, but um, he's a guy that I have a strong feeling is going to make a big difference during his rookie season.
1: Yeah, and even if it's not during his rookie season, I mean, this is a player that's going to see at least two contracts in Green Bay and uh, you're going to be talking about Elton Jenkins as one of these, uh, you know, draft and develop players. That's, you know, seven, eight years from now, we're, we're still going to be talking about where he is on the offensive line. You know, he's just that type of player. Yeah. You know, There's certain players that you go see in practice and they, they just look the part and you just kind of know, uh, you know, kind of immediately. And, and he has that, that, uh, you know, that kind of first glance look to him and then he backs it up on, on tape and he's got, he's got a ways to go from, uh, you know, being a, you know, obviously a finished product. At this point, but he's just one of those guys that at this point seems very easy to project as a very solid starter for the foreseeable future for the Packers. Whenever that that opportunity may come up,
3: absolutely. And uh, we went colossally over time tonight, but it truly has been a uh, honor to get to talk with you. and And I'm really excited about about uh, this. And you know, maybe we'll just kick Kyle off permanently. I don't know. <laughs>
1: It, you know, it, it, you uh, you get Wally pipped, you know, you're out one night and then somebody <laughs> takes your place. Yeah, I, it's funny. One of my favorite things, uh, just nerding out again about the podcast in this scenario is is when like there's mashups of different people who haven't worked together before and like I get to like hear those episodes. For some reason, like those are my favorite ones because I just get the, like you, you hear different people play off of each other and it's always a little bit more interesting. So this is another one of those examples and this was a lot of fun. So thanks for having me on.
3: Yeah, well, th- thank you again for for filling in, and uh, that this has been the Packaday Podcast. You can find Andy on Twitter at Scani Sports, and you can find me at Andrew Mertig. Remember to also follow at Packaday Podcast. Please subscribe and rate the podcast if you like what we're doing. Tomorrow's episode is going to be hosted by Mike, Tyler, and Chris, and they will further break down the preseason game. You can catch Kyle and myself back next Friday uh, with a breakdown of this the third preseason game against the Raiders. Uh, thanks for listening, and as always, remember. <laughs>